Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hello, Trailblazers fans, and welcome to another edition of the Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dave Deckard from BlazersEdge.com, here with you with Dan Morang as co-host, and we are on Stitcher, we are on iTunes, we are all over the interwebs. We are glad that you found us, whether you download us, listening, streaming, whatever you're doing, jogging, hiking, cooking, uh, or anything more interesting. Uh, it's a delight to have you along, and it's a special delight this week because, well, we have some positive stuff to talk about, Dan. The Blazers uh, lost overtime versus the Pistons, but Damian Lillard went crazy. That was a turnover play game, and uh, they, they almost won it anyway. But then two straight wins, two wins in a winning streak. Oklahoma City Thunder, Brooklyn Nets. Wow. I mean, what a great time to be a Blazer fan. Uh, the gears of the tank are slamming together, and somehow Portland's managing to, to string a few wins together. So it's kind well, of that's the other weird... argument, I suppose. I mean, I'm going to get your analysis in a second, but I've, I've heard this more than one place. They tried to they tried to win. They couldn't do it. Now they're trying to tank, and they can't do it. Just but can't do what do you want? Right. It's like, come on, guys. What's going <laughs> no, on? No, no. Okay. Beat the Thunder. What did you see in that Thunder game that you liked? It was a, basically a microcosm of the first Thunder matchup. Slam the paint shut, deny everybody else, and make Westbrook be the guy. I mean, that's if you can keep the Thunder from knocking down outside shots and you can keep them from just demolishing you inside and controlling the boards, it's a pretty simple recipe. The problem is you have to have the personnel in order to execute that, and that means coming in playing tight and being physical on defense and playing good uh interior defense with your bigs and help side defense and what we saw was Nurkic get what five blocks i mean that, that had when was the last time portland had anybody who did that where it was not not only in the stat sheet but you could feel it in the in the course of the game how he controlled the paint for long stretches against a guy like steven adams and russell westbrook who are constantly coming down your throat so it, it's one of those things where it's nice to see that sort of basic game plan be executed and not be blown to bits, even though you know it's coming. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful stats. Steven Adams, one for three, and Sabonis, one for two. They combined the two of five, right, uh, for four points total, I believe. And Nurkic himself was seven of ten for eighteen. So that was that was a pretty good game for him. Okay, you know Russell Westbrook has forty five, but their their starting starting lineup got just demolished. They got ten points by Portland. Ten points from the starting yeah. lineup outside of Russell Westbrook. Right, and and as a whole, their starting lineup just stunk. Their bench was good. Their bench was better than Portland's, but uh, the Portland starting lineup just mowed them over. Yeah, well, I mean, when you get fifty five points out of your starters. And the Trailblazers get 55 points out of Damon CJ. I mean, it's not a stretch yeah. to say you're going to assume that's going to be a win, right? Yeah, probably lights out for you. I mean, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six players in double figures. Now, not all of them 
shot incredibly well. I mean, Harkless and McCollum didn't have their best nights. But at the same time, when you can put six players in double figures and, uh, and you can basically take the game out of the teeth of the exact players that are trying to control it, uh, that's pretty good. Now, you know, Ennis Cantor did well off the bench for them. Taj, Taj Gibson. So there is an asterisk by Adams and Sabonis. It, A, it kind of wasn't their game, and B, their bench <laughs> actually played more than their starters. But still, I want to, I mean, I want to look at this positively. I want to give this game to Nurk. I want to compare starters to starters uh, because it makes Portland look good. And, and, and I want to relish the win. Yeah, no, I mean, Nurk is, I mean, Nurk mania is kind of taking hold, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. He did exactly what he needed. The questions about Nurk coming in were, is he in shape enough to be out there for long stretches? And he's already played 35-plus minutes, I believe, four times. I need to double-check it. But he is getting all the minutes that he could ever want. The, the problems that he had in Denver with getting on the floor are not an issue here. He is out there as long and as strong as he wants to be. So that kind of issue has been written away. Now you've got... Can he play defense behind Damon CJ? Well, we've already seen he's not coming above the free throw line, so that's not a thing. But when you keep him in the paint, he's Portland's best rim protector as far as a big man and a deterrent in, uh, at least in Lopez. I mean, that's just it's just too easy to, to single that out. And that's only been here in a couple of games when he's still growing familiar with the system. So there are plenty of positives to be taken from this, but at the same time, in these wins that Portland's had, they still haven't looked that great. So it, it's still, it's still really weird. Don't 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 say now. Nah, okay, 109 points given up. Westbrook scores 45. Their bench goes crazy, but they won. I mean, and <clears throat> Brooklyn Nets. Hey, uh, 130 points the Blazers scored. I mean, let's let's ignore the fact that they. How many points did they give up to the Brooklyn Nets? 160. Yeah, nah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but, here, there were a lot of good things to take from that game, but uh, I want to put this in perspective. As bad as the Brooklyn Nets are, and they're the worst team in the league, their PR department and one of their beat writers was on Twitter after the game saying, this Nets team is so bad, this is the fourth time they've given up 130 points this season. Well, folks, before December 31st of this last year, the Portland Trailblazers had given up 130 points four times. Yeah, and you know the so, defensive, the defensive stats in this game basically they would, don't exist. Would break your computer. I mean, okay, Captain Kirk could use these to fry the enemy artificial intelligence compute defensive rating for Nets versus Blazers. Ah, smoke coming out, fire exploding. Uh, it 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 was bad. Yeah, but, a stoppable force meets a movable object. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I'm not sure they ever met. They just kind of politely bowed to each other. And Hi, and as they went by each other. Yeah, exactly. It was an all-star game, but um, minus the talent. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, sorry. <laughs> that was an no... actual spit take. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry about your microphone. You'll now need a new one, as apparently I do. Uh, but, uh, you know, Lopez, I mean, he was contained early, late in the game, I believe, is when he made his mark. Um, but still, it wasn't kind of the dominant thing. And I think we saw the Nurkic dichotomy there. He made when, him work when, for it. I'll give Nurkic some yeah. credit. He made Brooke Lopez work for it. But Brooke Lopez has made a career on making those shots. 
So right. it's and, it's it's a difficult the, task to ask him to single cover him from the rim to the three point line. Right. And the farther Lopez went out, the less valuable Nurkic's defense looked. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, look, that's going to be an issue. It's something we've mentioned before in passing. Okay. Asterisk by this is that, yeah, Nurk is great. I, I, I love what he's doing, and it's a new wrinkle. At the same time, it's going to be the same story as last year. Anybody who can prepare for the Blazers for a seven-game series is going to be able to exploit what they can't do, and what they can't do is still a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, he's not an all-world Dikembe Mutombo, Hakeem Olajuwon defender. Oh, I mean, no, don't even yeah, that's not in the same, not in only the same sentence. They're not on the same page. But I, yeah, keep going. But yeah, I know. I'm just talking just defense in general. I mean, these are guys that single-handedly behind a defense can fundamentally change how you play defense. That's not Nurk, but he is a pretty damn good defender. He can come up and and body a guy off. And there's two things that I've I've noticed from him already. One is the fact that, yeah, he's not comfortable coming above the free throw line. But two, when it comes to the pick and roll coverages, when they do run pick and rolls deeper, there's something he's able to do in that he's got a big body. And he's able to knock guys off their their cuts cleanly and off their rolls cleanly. And it it breaks up the timing of the pick and roll, which is... The, the bread and butter is understanding the timing between and the spacing between. And Nurkic is really good about doing that and not getting called for fouls. That's actually a huge, huge thing as far as uh, an underrated skill defensively. Andrew Bogut's of the world are really good at that. That The Kevin Garnett, the, the grab, pull, hold, and just kind of knocking guys off balance. Um, so I think stuff like that is, is huge. But that's not enough to, you know, give the defensive gravity of a... I don't know, like a modern day, you could say like like Kawhi or LeBron or Draymond or or Giannis, who have this ability to come all the way out and then back in, and create basically a defensive buffer zone that is a no fly zone or a no go zone. He he's not at that level, but that's not a knock on him. It's just there's there are limitations that people probably need to adjust their expectations for. Oh, they're go- they're gonna see it once they figure this new version of the Blazers out. But right now, it's kind of party time, and uh, I, I'm enjoying it, frankly. But look, so Nurk, to me, this seems kind of like a J.J. Abrams thing. <laughs> My perception of J.J. Abrams, uh, and, and he's a fine director, okay? Again, no knock. <laughs> but so how's he made about a billion dollars? He's gone into positions where people have screwed up so badly <laughs> that even pretty good looks amazing he's not screwing it up and uh, nurk is doing a little bit more than not screwing it up but seriously it's like after after you've had like rotten rancid worms on a plate a big mac looks pretty darn good it's what abram's done with two franchises now <laughs> and uh, nurkic is pretty much i mean i think he's going to level out right now this is more than big mac he's not quite filet mignon but there's some steak I mean, if, you wanna, if you want if you want to steal some movie analogies you you can go uh, that that the defense of the world is the, you know, the modern NBA, the, the Christopher Nolans of the world, it, directors. Uh, you get the Batman franchise, which is kind of the the height of, of superhero movies right now. And you've got uh, what's it called, uh, Logan, that just came out. It, it's kind of a, a, a knockoff version, but it's a pretty damn good knockoff. You're, you're not yeah, gonna be, I, you're not gonna be frustrated with it. You're gonna enjoy the hell out of it. And I think that's the same right. thing with, with Nurk. Is he's gonna give you 
a lot of the things you've been missing and then some. And because of that, you're, you're probably going to overlook some of the, the, the plot flaws as you were. Um, but I mean, he's 22 and, and you got him for Mason yeah. Plumley, and you got a first round pick for him. I mean, yeah. that is looking and you know, like and you don't have to pay him for two deal. years. You don't have to pay him for two years. Yeah. That's great. I mean, a rookie contract, there's not nothing wrong with that. So yeah. So we're, we're agreed that Nurkic is no Michael Keaton, uh, Batman, but he's he's better than Ben Affleck. <laughs> so yeah, very good. And, and imagine, think about this. I mean, how far down was this season? I don't mean like it was there was the Nets; they'd won ten games. But really, there was no point to this season. They really weren't that far that's away. Right. And, and let's, it was, let, let's be honest; they really weren't that far away from being one of the three or four worst teams in the league. The, the defense speaking, they're still not. But yeah, but I mean, their yeah. defense yeah. from November to the end of December is literally some of the worst defense I've ever seen in modern day basketball. Now, by not by any stretch of the means, hyperbole. It was that they gave up 130 points four different times in a span of a month. They gave up a hundred points in through three quarters nine times in the span of what was it six weeks? That's crazy. I mean, I, I, I wrote it off just the the entire season by the end of November. It was it was just too bad. There was no way you could change that far. But the Nurkic deal has definitely given at least me personally much more of a vested interest in watching and analyzing and and seeing him grow and how things have changed over the last couple of weeks not just on the court but you can see the attitude and the body language differences he he has definitely yeah. kicked that that into gear it's emotional life basically there's an emotional life to this season now that was just plain absent after about week 4 uh which and again this is miraculous although it does bring up a topic i mean uh Apparently at Sloan, Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, said teams that focus only on winning a championship, uh, I'm going to paraphrase now because I don't have the quote in front of me, are basically doing it wrong, foolish. Uh, This, to me, highlights the divide. I mean, the yes and no of that. Personally, I don't quite think that. But, look, is Nurkic going to bring the Blazers a title? No. Has he changed their prospects of winning a title? I don't think so. But there's something else that they're playing for right now, which is reason to watch, and he's certainly given them that. And that's exactly what Adam Silver wants. He doesn't want five, maybe six teams with a legit chance. I mean, this is the reality of it. And then 24 or 25 teams who are tanking and fighting for that number one pick. Because if they don't do something soon, that is going to happen. I mean... Whether it's by ineptitude, like Sacramento, or by process <laughs> in Philadelphia, teams are going to start going this way. That, that's just, it's just a matter of fact. Eventually, it'll get to the point where if you're not a legit championship contender, you're going to build and draft as many assets as you can so that you can lure a free agent when necessary and draft a superstar as they come along. We've talked about this plenty of times. The main contending teams right now are have all been built through the draft. It is the one way that you can narrow the, 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 the playing field. 
And yeah, that's, and, that's, that's and, Adam and, Silver protecting the product. And I don't blame him. Yeah, I have a lot of self-interest in there, of course, on his end. But, I mean, you bring up a valid point. We are going to need to zoom out at some point here and not just ask, well, how's my team doing? But what is this league about? And, by the way, I do not think that you can substitute anything besides going for a title in there and still have the same league. I guess, I guess you could go the soccer route, have a like a standard and B standard and people going back and forth. But in the U.S., I think you'll have a hard time selling that. And I think, frankly, that when you put the NBA label on something, uh, people will have a very hard time if they perceive their team as B standard. So we're going to have to look at this and say, is, is the league headed in the right direction? Is it a disaster if only two or three teams consistently can win? If those teams shift from era to era, but if the draft becomes one of the only viable ways to get there. And I, I kind of agree with you. I think that's very suspect. And I, I'm not entirely sure what to do with it, but we probably want to devote an off-season podcast to that because it's probably one of the most serious issues facing the league long-term. Speaking of serious issues, though, uh, we've covered the one center that the Blazers have that's working. Uh, how about the one who isn't? Uh, Festus Azili uh, got news that he is done for the season to the surprise of uh, almost nobody, uh, but he's not going to play for the Blazers uh, this year. He probably will probably not suit not up ever. the Blazers ever yeah uh, do you see let's ask that question first do you see any way they pick up their his contract next year no no there's there's, there's just no way and i mean if, if you've listened to this podcast if you've heard me at all I, when he first signed the deal i called it the i failed the mri contract and that's exactly what this is and that's exactly what it turned into it to, to me from day one it was a pr move they whiffed in free agency and they needed to get a big so let's swing for the fences it's no risk. It's not going to cost us anything more than a million dollars next season when we miraculously don't need him anymore. Well, they've got Nurkic. They don't need him anymore. And so he'll be gone. Right. And by that way, that $7 million contract will now be $21 million contract because of luxury tax for a guy who's not playing. That's just clearly... You couldn't play that for Mason Plumley. You, you're not going to play pay that for Festus Azili. Yeah. Uh, su- surprised at all about the injury news. Surprised that it developed this way. Yeah. Surprised that it took this long. I mean, the, the weird thing about this entire situation was, I, it, at first, it sounded like Festus Azili was going to play this year. That's how crazy this was. We're in training camp, and we're hearing stories and reports that Azili is not only in practice, he's out there in five-on-five five playing when there was supposed to be no chance of that. And then two days later, he's mysteriously not feeling good and he's not going to be out here or he's not going to be active for a while. Second assessment, second opinions. And then it turns into, well, we don't know. And it started just, I mean, good God, it was Greg Oden all over again with the way that the, the Blazers PR handled it. It was either rule him out or don't. I mean, just... For the love of God, man, just quit trying to split hairs with it. I mean, how bad is it? Is it bad? I mean, I know the Blazers the medical staff has changed drastically since Odin, but their handling of the situation has just been so poor. 
Well, I'm not sure I'd call it poor. I mean, because, A, injuries are tricky, and you have some disclosure elements, and you don't want to either bury a guy or exalt him too high. And I think they got burned, frankly, with some of these, with the Aldridge injury, with the Odin injury, where they were giving a lot of information. And everybody was jumping back and forth between polar extremes, none of which were true. And then they took flack for that because they were always north or south of where those expectations were based on the information they gave out. Not that the information was bad, but people's reaction to it was too strong. So I think they probably developed some kind of system or policy uh, where they just do not give out information that they're not dead sure of. But there's another element to it. You just said it is the PR element. Now, do I believe that the Blazers thought Festus would play this year? Yes, I did. I think if they thought he would not suit up for a single game, they would not have signed him. I'm not that cynical yet, but there's incentive to, yeah, there's incentive to, to push off that announcement. As you said, Nurkic is, has allowed them to, but I, I think distancing themselves from that signing uh, through time and numbness uh, was important. Had they announced in say December or November, oh yeah, this guy's totally not going to play. The, the whole revival that came with this signing, the whole he wanted to play here, the whole storyline would have been real fresh in people's memories. And then, you know, that Where would have, have been compared and contrasted. You know? Yes. Well, I mean, but, and the flip side of this yeah. is also that, I mean, does anybody else find it convenient that he's having the surgery now that they have Nurkic? Perhaps, but I mean, I want to. You don't want to go cynical. I, I want to go full, full cynical here. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just say, even without the cynicism, there was reason to wait. I mean, there was, there was. It benefited nobody to go too soon, not even Festus. And so that's where I think it's actually a smart PR move. Uh, but there's a difference between PR and being able to, you know, check reality or check uh, facts or prognosticate what's going to happen. Uh, and if you do it off of PR, you can sometimes uh, be led astray. In any case, Festus, we hardly knew ye. Uh, I assume you can still get a Festus jersey, but you better get it quick. Uh, probably because, yeah, otherwise, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that that's your first clue. When uh -huh. when when Rick 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 Flair T-shirts go on sale in WCW, you know he just signed with WWF again. <laughs> so, uh, Festus, that was they probably went fifty percent around January. Um, I, although we do wish him well. I mean, I hope he recovers. Uh, I, and I don't. Do you fault him at all? I don't. I mean, I think this was a good swing for him. He got paid. Uh, and. You know, it turned out he couldn't play. I'm not saying he was a babe in the woods. He probably had an idea that this could happen, maybe yeah. more than the Blazers did. That's but. the thing. Is, I don't blame him. In this, I'm going to sound like the real bad guy here. But I think his handling of the situation hasn't been stellar. So I don't know. I, I don't want to get into it too much. But I think that there, there's definitely some more going on here that – isn't necessarily as clear to everyone else as it may or may not be in reality. I, I know that sounds really vague. It's just something doesn't yeah, smell here. right. So, yeah, Let's no, just put it I, that and, way. Well, something, yeah, well, I mean, we agree on that point. At the same time, I'm pretty firmly convinced that the league works right and you can understand it best when every side works for their own self-interest. And yes. you know 
The other guy's going to do that, and it's your job to do that. That's a GM's job. Work for the interest of the team and his owner. It's a player's job and the agent's job. Work for the interest, interest of the player, and you can get together in the middle ground while still protecting that, and you will come up with a good deal. If all of a sudden you're starting to base deals on PR and who's happy and what's the lovey, warm fuzzies for you're lying. I mean, that's just, it's not, it's not, that's not what it's supposed to be about. Or if it is, somebody's really going to get burned because as soon as it's in the self-interest of the other person to get rid of happy, warm, fuzzy and to do the thing that makes them money, that's what they got to you do. You end up with the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to end up with Steve the Los Nash, Angeles Dwight Lakers Howard, right now. I mean... Well, except for the bus family. Apparently about three or four of those want to end up with the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, they, they, they do too. I mean, a few lawsuits here or there. I mean, how, how yeah, would you we'll feel if, if your family member sued you for ownership of a franchise? <laughs> yeah, there's some debate about whether that's actually happening, and they're trying to whatever, present a good public face i will I mean, say if, if you want to take, take a step back and, and wonder the situation with the blazers just be comfortable in knowing that your owner is a comfortable owner and not feuding with his family members over the stability of the franchise as bad as things exactly. may be on the court there are plenty more things that could be going wrong right now or trading to marcus cousins but that's another story <laughs> uh pe circus peanuts but anyway um yeah i will say this Everybody who thinks that life would be jolly and wonderful being rich, you might have a point owning a team. You might have a point. Good luck leaving that to your kids because this kind of stuff often happens. Anyway, let's leave the poor bus. We don't want to throw them under the bus, so to speak. Uh, so, Dan, here's the big question of the hour. Oh, the Blazers are now 26 and 35. Technically Two more wins speaking, they should have. Yeah, well, technically speaking, they are in the ninth position in the West right now. So let's focus on that part of it. They could sneak up on the Nuggets. They're only two games behind. Are we ready to say that the eighth seed is something that they should shoot for? Would it be better for them to, to hit the playoffs or to hit the lottery? Yeah, it's, it's not even close. Going from the playoffs to me is just, I, I can't even wrap my head around that. I get that people want their the team to be competitive and root for the win and all that great stuff. And I am, I'm not sitting here saying that you tell the players to tank. I've seen comments about this. I've seen questions about this. When I say tank, I'm not saying Damian Lillard needs to go out there and shoot four for 20. That's not tanking. That's influencing the game on a level that's, I mean, Tim Donaghy went to jail okay. for that. So yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not go to that level. What does happen is the organization says, Damian Lillard, you're not playing 36 minutes. You're playing 28. CJ, you're playing 26. I mean, that's... That alone, right there, dropping both those guys' minutes by 10-plus isn't, to me, enough to sway almost every game down the stretch. Shabazz, man, come on. He's going to save the franchise. He's actually had some pretty pretty good or pretty good uh, runs out there. And I've actually been impressed with what I've seen from him. And really, that's the, the stretch run this season. Even if they somehow made a way into the playoffs, I literally wouldn't care. I'd watch the games, but... Let's just say in some magic world that they upset the Warriors. 
In what reality is this team going to win another seven-game series? If this well, was um, if this was one and done, everybody wants to point to like the miracle on ice or the Warriors upsetting the, the Mavericks as an eight one in was it two thousand six two thousand seven? I mean, uh, Denver yeah. did it to Seattle too. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, what do they do after that? You're not winning a title. You're not progressing further along. You're getting a Knicks little did bit. It. Of, oh God, you're, you're, <laughs> you're not getting anything more out of this. It's not happening. You, you, right. The stars need to align beyond what the universe is capable of giving to make this happen. So what better are chance you... of renting mega bucks than yeah. Yeah, I mean literally, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than this team making it to the NBA finals. So I just I don't get what the idea is. Just tangible asset management. This team is in a place next season that's not good from a roster construction and a financial standpoint. They can literally alleviate a huge chunk of that by tanking the rest of the season. You have a path for very few times as a general manager or as a franchise or an organization, do you have a path set before you that if you take this path, you have a X percent chance to improve your franchise. It's not it's not a roll of the dice of, oh my God, I, you know, am I trading for this player or that player? Uh, will they fit or mesh with this team? You have an asset that you can get that mathematically, analytically, if you're drafted in the one through five position, will increase your team by this percent, depending on which pick you get. The value drops each time you drop down a pick. The difference between picking fifth and picking 15th is astronomical. Sure. Well, and one thing that could bolster your argument is, well, if the Blazers go up three three games in the standings, they're in eighth. If they go down three games in the standings, they are now behind everybody except the Suns and Lakers, who they probably won't catch ever. You're putting so, yourself in a chance to have a yeah. top three pick. If you fall fifth, I'm trying to remember my math on this, I believe it's an 18 or 20% chance of a top three pick. And I believe the math, if you, if you finish fourth, it's either fourth or fifth. I can't remember which one it was now, but you have a better chance at a top three pick than you do of a uh, four through six pick and getting knocked back. That's how often those two positions have rewarded a top three pick. And if you're talking about this draft and you're talking about asset management, and you're talking about roster composition, all these things we've been talking about for a year plus now, or almost a year now, I should say, you have a door that you can open where it's not a mystery box. It's yeah. a tangible well, asset. Thing is, I'm going to go, I'm, I'll, I'll go opposite. Not only because I'm the win guy, but because literally what you're probably talking about is the difference between the 16th pick and the 15th pick at this point. And it's not now granted Miami's better in the East. There are a few teams better in the East, so it might be slightly better than that. But I mean, you're not, you're not talking about world changing events unless you hit those ping pong balls. Otherwise you're still in the middle. It's still kind of a crap shoot. And sure there might be a percentage edge, but a percentage edge to what? 
And what have you done to your franchise now when suddenly everybody kind of knows what you did and why you did it? It's like saying to your players, you're not good enough. We need a real boost in order to go anywhere. And if you don't hit the ping pong balls, you don't get that real boost. Now you're looking at the players that you just told weren't that they weren't good enough and you're expecting them to go out there and perform that's an issue but you know what there's an even bigger one is that i don't think the blazers can carry this kind of salary and make the lottery and unless they hit the ping pong balls there is no distraction big enough to cover you're selecting 11th because you pretty much sucked and you're paying at the luxury tax line. I think the Blazers need to scramble to get to that eighth seed any way they can. I and just, I think that the part... Go I ahead. Say, uh, there's a couple things here. First of all, there's a franchise down the freeway that did exactly this with a team with a ton more talent on it. They tanked the last month of the season. The Golden State Warriors, nobody talks about this because everybody wants to talk about how the Monte Ellis trade netted them uh, a more balanced backcourt. That's great and all. They tanked the end of that season to get the seventh pick and Harrison Barnes. Nobody yeah, ever but discussed that. They also drafted way late to get Clay Thompson, right? And that's, I think, just as significant. Yeah, that's, so... that's landing on a pick and doing well. But historically, again, we're talking about tangible assets and in, in numbers here. Your chance of selecting a player in that top five is exponentially higher than in any other group. We can point at every pick and and, sure. and do all that kind of stuff of, of players that have been successful. But let's say Portland does fall down and they don't want the pick. How much more is it worth come draft night? A fifth pick is worth a truckload more than a tenth pick, especially in this draft. Yeah, obviously. Eh, package all three, get to number two. Anyway, now let's take a look at this. Since you mentioned, uh, the, since we mentioned the end of the s season here, sorry, the schedule. First of all, another million dollar question. <laughs> the Blazers are looking better right now. How much is that schedule related? It's a little bit of both. Damian Lillard's definitely healthier and, and absolutely balling out right now. Uh, I believe he's averaging like thirty six and six and six. I think. Um, since Can we vote for him to never go to the All-Star game ever? The dude just like, needs rest. I mean, literally, he's, he's top five in minutes every season, and he's got I me. Mean, we want to talk about how guys are athletic and it's a grind of a season. He's a six-foot-tall point guard who goes inside. He gets hit a lot. He hits the ground a lot. He's going to the free-throw line a ton now. You know how you go to the free-throw line? You hit the ground a lot. And, I mean, here's, here's he just play. needs time off. In November, everybody needs to tell Damian Lillard they're going to snub him from the All-Star team because he's not good enough. Just and then in January, they need to do it so that he has motivation all year through to score approximately 45 points a game like Russell Westbrook. And uh, and then it'll, it'll be peak Dame all year long. Um, yeah, I mean, part of it, easier opponents, part of it. How does it look going ahead? I mean, Portland has 15 games. Well... I guess I should adjust that now. 14 games and 24 nights uh, with the Minnesota yes, cancellation. Minnesota, we, got, we got iced out inside in Minnesota. <laughs> Only in Minnesota. But it was 60 yeah, degrees outside. Your game. Yeah, that's exactly. that's the crazy thing. It was 60 in mini today, so figure that. Um, 
but yeah, they got 14 games in 24 nights, and that is a ton of games. That is more than a game every other night. I believe there's three back-to-backs, no, four back-to-backs in that set, and there's only twice that more than one day of rest appears in that stretch. I don't care who you're playing. Minnesota game in that. Yeah, and and actually, because the way it adjusts, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna force another game into that section. Um, So yeah, you could be playing the Washington Generals, and it's gonna be difficult. That is a lot of games and a lot of travel. So you know what? It's gonna strike too. Is that you know Nurkic has not been quite as mobile (laughs) as as the game has gone along. Uh, well, and Big Fella's been sucking seeing, some wind. There, there's no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, there's some fatigue there. Now start the grind, and uh, yeah, the <laughs> the conditioning may prove a little more important. But, you know, we'll let that happen as it happens. At least the, the opponent's schedule looks easier, but the uh, the actual physical schedule gets tougher, eh? Yeah, the, the crazy thing is, is that Portland basically has a chance to lock down either their tank or to lock down their playoff position here because they have the tiebreaker over Denver and they've got three games against Minnesota. Who's also chasing. So if they win that tiebreaker against Minnesota, they base, they all they have to do is, is come even with Denver or Minnesota and the, the spots there's. And so many teams sandwiched it. It's yeah. nearly, un- although we knew, okay, I shouldn't say it's unbelievable. We knew this was going to happen, but Denver, as we, as we speak right now, 34 losses, Blazers, 35, Mavericks, 36, Timberwolves, 37, Kings, 38, Pelicans, 39, and the Suns are 42. I mean, they're not that, they're not that, that far, far off. Yeah. It's, it's just a big old peanut butter mediocrity spread <laughs> in the middle of the, the upper crust and then the moldy bread at the bottom. And like the frustrating thing is that the Blazers find themselves here again. <laughs> like you'd think naturally they'd get great or they'd stink, but here they are right in the middle. Now, speaking of that, um, let's take a look. I mean, obviously I think no matter what happens as you said, we are focusing on the summer. I mean, it's just, that's the way it is. It's, we, I hope for a playoff series because life will be more interesting, but I don't think anybody's under the illusion that that's going to make a difference, as you just said. Let's take a look at some of these players, kind of early forecast. How do you think their season's gone? And when summer comes around, how available are they going to be? And let's start at the top and let's package them together. Lillard and McCollum, um, how would you evaluate their season so far based on expectations or whatever else? And how available will they be come June, July? Yeah, these, these guys are the rock, they're the foundation. And I think with both of these guys, they have both have career, both have had career seasons. I don't think Damien's defense has regressed by any means. I just think that it was more noticeable in in outcomes of games. Last year, everything kind of went right, so it wasn't as noticeable. It was, these are things that you know we've been harping on or discussing for quite some time. Um, same with CJ. Both those guys, and let's give a hat tip to CJ. CJ's become one of the best overall shooters in the entire league. Right now, he's leading the league in mid-range field goal percentage, shooting over 50%. 
league average is just under 40%. So what he's doing, and especially considering the volume of mid-range shots he takes, he's basically LaMarcus Aldridge <laughs> of mid-range shots, except he's really, really, really good at them. He takes a ton of them, except he makes a ton of them. So Aldridge was good at mid-range shots. It was just the same mid-range shot all the time. <laughs> exactly. Um, in, I don't, so, I'm not saying it's a, a knock to LMA. It's just right. CJ's just that good at that shot. He's he he is the king of the mid range right now. It's insane. Yeah. Um, so both those guys, I mean, great. They've been phenomenal this year, and you can see what they're giving you going forward. But I think you have to caveat them with the draft, in that depending on what the Blazers do, kind of affects what they do. If Portland is is bound and determined to keep going with these guys, and they make the playoffs. There's probably no chance that either of them are moved. Um, but if they tank, and I mean they fall all the way down and get one of those top five picks or whatever, and let's say the the lottery balls go their way, and one of those top flight guards are there, maybe you see one of those guys moves because that's a lot of cap space that gets freed up. And it'd be a drastic change. And I'm not saying that it's going to happen. That's that's probably one of the ways that it does happen um, is if it goes that way. But as far as those two guys are going, I mean, it would take something extreme like that to increase the likelihood of them being moved. All right. Nurkic, I don't think we even need to deal with unless he was packaged with to bring back like a superstar center or something. And all those went at the trading deadline, but Nurk, his contract is the most valuable on the, on the, on the roster right now. That's exactly it. There's just no way you can move him right now unless it's a no brainer move. Yeah. He's making nothing. So let's skip him. Uh, Harkless and Aminu. Let's package them together. That's your second, third, most valuable assets probably right now. Harkless yeah, I mean, is, is giving little, you what ten five and three a night on nine and a half million a year. Yeah, I mean, at least his efficiency is okay, you know. So he gives you a little bit of everything, yeah. and, and teams around the league, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure they'd like to have him, especially on, mm-hmm. on that controlled salary. Aminu, uh, it's all about offensive confidence with him. As much crap as he's gotten for his inability to knock down threes. Something he has done this year is go to the paint hard. Last year, he had a lot of really, really bad turnovers, and this year he's had a lot of really, really bad shots. So apparently every year there's going to be something that's really, really bad. But he has shown that he can actually put the ball on the floor and get to the rim every now and then. He's actually shown a couple nice little inside finishes and post moves. So he he's definitely grown in that area. With him, it's always going to be, I think, offensive consistency. He's going to give you the defensive end. He's going to rebound. He's going to block shots. He's going to be that weak side guy that's going to be there to help you all the time. But the uh, the contract value is huge with him. I mean, if, if the See, right deal comes across, you want to take it. But at the same time, he's exactly the kind of deal that Portland needs. Kind of, but I don't think that they can they can live with the talent. To, I know the talent-to-dollars ratio is individually good but the talent to dollars ratio on this roster overall is really bad and you're going to have to make some cuts somewhere now we may do it in the next group coming up but i think if harkless and aminu if somebody chases them hard the blazers will certainly have to listen hard and the problem i see with either of them is as you said they're kind of 
in some ways, all-around players. Aminu is certainly a defensive player. Who needs that kind of player? For a contender, that's exactly the kind of guy you need to keep your role going, to play some great minutes for you, and to maybe take you from a championship contender to a real championship threat. But for a team that's short of contention, that kind of player just doesn't move the needle much. I mean, yes, they do hidden things. Yes, the Blazers are probably better with them than if they were totally absent from the roster. But are those dollars spent the best way the Blazers can right now between those two? Or is there an opportunity cost when you aren't at the contention level that uh, carrying this kind of player kind of costs you uh, other people or development of other people even and i don't see a ton of contenders out there who can give the blazers anything that's going to make a difference to them what do you want another low draft pick and that's the thing I if don't you're think giving it are... up to a contender you're not getting anything in return that's right and and if you try to give them up to sacramento i mean maybe they'll do anything but <laughs> a what are they going to trade the great uh, asterisks but... of the nba exactly but but B, what's Sacramento going to do with them? I mean, it's just not... Sacramento can't make use of Rudy Gay right now. And obviously, Gay's not an all-around player, but dude could score 20 points. Yes, he's been injured, et cetera, et cetera. But that experiment just didn't work. And he should have been well set up. It's not like they had a ton of other scorers there besides Cousins. And they basically wasted him. Uh, I don't think Harkless is going to really stand out with them or Aminu uh, until they get some better talent and players around him and of course with cousins gone that isn't happening so what do you do how do you trade them to a lousy team dallas dallas you got to look at dallas they they buy players like this let's take a look at the next layer uh alan crab and uh evan turner <laughs> should Ooh. the blazers move them <laughs> should yeah yeah they I mean, anybody who was watching the game on TNT the other night saw the graphic pop up for Alan Crabb, and I do not sit here and try to beat up on Alan Crabb. Alan Crabb is a good player, especially in his own right. He's up there with C.J. McCollum as one of the best mid-range shooters in the entire league. He's still shooting above 40% from three, but he just went from making $900,000 a year to $18 million a year. His pay increased 2,000%, and his stats are numerically identical per game from last season. That's not what well, you pay I mean, a guy for, right? You don't pay a guy that much money to be the exact same player he was. I don't know. I mean, do you? This may be. This would be an interesting philosophical conversation we should have sometime. Obviously, we in this case we wish Crab was better, but there is a certain amount of foolishness that goes with play paying a player for what you think they're going to be, rather than playing a player for what they are. And in some ways, those contracts that are vilified, like the veterans who are starting to head down, but you pay a lot to because they've been in the league and they've been stars, in some ways, those contracts are better than paying a guy for what you hope he's going to be three years from now because ah, that often doesn't work out. Now, I think, obviously, Crab. Uh, he's an exception because they, they, I think you're right. They were paying him for what they thought he could be this year. But uh, I mean, his minutes are up. It's not a good idea. The thing is, is his minutes are up. His touches are up yet. His usage rate is down. So he's being given the opportunity. He's just not taking it. 
his shots per minute mm-hmm. are down. I mean, the, there are things there that are just that don't look right. I mean, even when they brought in Evan Turner, Crab has still been given an expanded role, and yet he's still boxed into the exact same usage style that he was previously, and he hasn't expanded upon it. Okay, let's stop for a second, though, and ask, is this like a Nicola Batum situation where, I mean, and I'm not going to argue that Batum, I mean, Batum's had some good times since he was traded, right? But I'm not going to argue that he became a superstar. But his style of play certainly changed when he moved Drastically. to Charlotte. So is this a situation where, hey, if Alan Crabb gets in a better situation, we might see uh, more of him? I think there could be an element of that to it. But the, the difference between somebody like not just Batum, but just somebody like Batum, Nick is a guy that works better with the ball in his hands more than he was getting in Portland. Mm-hmm. The way that the Trailblazers use Nick is the exact same way that they're using Alan Crabb. But Alan Crabb has never been a guy who says, I need the ball in my hands to create or anything like that. Nobody's ever, you know, confused Alan Crabb with the point forward. That, that's yeah, but he's playing, with, he's playing with Damian and CJ, too. you got to remember that. Those guys like the ball in their hand. Yeah, but and he's also running with Crabb, the second unit where he's getting the sure, bulk he's of being touches. Used as an outlet. He's being used as an outlet, basically. And that's if you look at his shooting percentages and his true shooting percentages, he's more or less succeeding in that role. The question would be, do you pay that much money for an outlet player? Uh, is he that valuable to you as a piece of the puzzle? That, as much as anything, is is the the shaky point I see with Crab. Well, the it's perfect not example just him individually. is Wes Matthews. Wes Matthews had an incredibly high usage rate because as that outlet player, he knew his role was to take that shot. And that's the biggest sure. complaint that I've had with Alan Crab is that his is unwillingness to take that shot. And I'm not necessarily arguing against that, although I think comparing Matthews and Crab, I'm just saying uh, offensively. We're not, we're not talking yeah, yeah, about no, no, defense. No, I get, it. I get it, but I think it's hard to expect of Crab what was expected of Matthews because I think Matthews had a clearer role in some ways and a position when he came in here. That's he was fair. also ended up being a starter. Uh, but that said, I, I, I agree with your criticism. Probably doesn't is not aggressive enough looking for his own shot. But considering that he is being used that way and he's not breaking out of it, he's doing pretty well in that. The problem is the Blazers don't need that. I mean, it's not generating wins, even though it's generating fairly high percentage shots for him. And I'm I'm not entirely sure that that's just him. It's just that they've got an archetype of a guy who can't handle the ball but scores really well in the mid-range and shoots great from long range and you can pass the ball to him and not worry too much and they kind of do that and it's kind of not helping and that's somewhat roster construction more than that guy now let's move on to uh well we got two left really significantly uh well we didn't talk about evan turner uh do we agree that if the blazers can trade evan turner they probably should at this point i I like turner i I like him as a player and that's that's not a secret it's just the deal is just it's a deal breaker i mean if you can get him for anything of of relative concern it's it's worth doing ed davis same kind of thing, just because he's not being used. And we even talked reason? about that. I mean, Ed's out for the season now with surgery. So, yeah. I mean, what's his, what's his timeline for recovery now? I mean, well, and I mean, how much interest is, are, are teams going to have in a guy who's 
shoulder surgery is one of those weird things. I mean, you saw the way Myers came back. So, I mean, sure. if, at this point in time, it's going to be a while before Ed's fully ready. I mean, typically it takes about a year to come back fully from that. So we're talking about basically the end of next season before he's supposed to be back at full strength, full mobility, all that kind of stuff, depending on the severity of the surgery or the injury in the surgery. At the same time, if it's not that bad, I mean, if he can play, the dude's only making $6 million. Somebody's got to want him, right? Yeah, he, and then that's the thing. That's, actually that's the opportunity. Well for thing the Blazers there. last year. Yeah, so, he but can definitely give, using give him money. So I would I would gauge him a good candidate for his sake and for the team's sake to move him, uh, which leaves us with uh, the, our two wunderkinds, uh, Myers Leonard, Noah Vonley. Um, should either of those would either of those be available? What's the ups and downs of doing that? I'm sure they're both available. I mean, everybody on Portland's team is available, and that's that's kind of the, the operative sense of, of the word, and that. They're all fair game. Uh, Myers, over the last couple of weeks, I think has done really well and done some really good things. Uh, he's had a little bit more of a controlled role, but then again, it's kind of bounced around. It's just not bouncing around quite as much, I should say. Um, Vonley has, I feel, in some way regressed from what he was. So I don't know if you get anything of value for him, but again, he's got one more year left before the rookie deal's up, so... If you play it out and he walks, I, I don't think it's a, a big loss. I, I just, at this point in time, I just haven't seen enough growth in him to, to warn anything. With, with a guy like Myers, and yeah, he's d- divisive as far as uh, what side of the fence you fall on, but there were two things that he gave you skill-wise before he got his contract that you, you were counting on. Interior big body defense and the ability to knock down threes. What does Noah Vonley give you? When you think Noah Vonley, other than prototype power forward body, what does he give you? Yeah, I mean, he's a big who shoots, what, about 65%, two out of every three shots within 10 feet, which he's not at the rim as much as some, so we got to give him that, right? But his true shooting percentage is 46%. That's that's kind of awful. that's that's a really kind of ugly number. And uh, so, yeah, he's kind of killing you in that sense. And, uh, yeah, the defense, I'm not sure it's there. Rebounding, he, he can rebound, you know. So that's that's fantastic. Uh, he's one of the Blazers' better offensive rebounders, along with Davis, ironic, ironically. but It sounds like look, you've just yeah. described Thomas Robinson. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's... A little different, but yes, in essence, which is why I think obviously Vonley should be available. Uh, Myers Leonard at this point, I mean, again, is that a place where you can clear salary? Uh, yeah. And this is the reality that the Blazers are going to have to face. We may not be talking about a ton of return for some of these guys. They may just have to move a couple people. They can't move Turner, and if they don't want to move, you've got to move the other tertiary guys to make you've room for move like player. three of them. Yeah. I mean, just to get that salary under control and you're going to have to make some, you're going to, you're not going to be able to do it all at once. You're going to have to make some, uh, $9 million, $10 million contracts for nothing, uh, kind of deals, second round picks and stuff like that. Um, I'm hoping that they can be a little more efficient than that, but I mean, that may be the reality. And speaking of the reality, uh, we're almost up. Is there anything else we have uh, left? Uh, you know, it's just, 
I think the big takeaway right now is when we look at this, which way we're, we're kind of going as far as tank and the schedule, and there's all these kind of things that we kind of get wrapped up in. But the one cool thing is, is that it's Blazers Edge Night. By the time well, this, yeah, this, this that, podcast that, is coming up. A couple days away. In fact, when you hear this, there will be a contest ongoing. Uh, we are actually giving away a couple tickets that we bought. Uh, you need to be in Portland in order to win them. I mean, otherwise, obviously, you can't use them. But uh, a fun little contest that uh, I hope people will like or at least be intrigued or interested with. Um, so, yeah, and it's 2,000 uh, kids and chaperones coming uh, to see the Blazers play the Sixers. When you and I talk next, that will be in the uh, that will be in the past. We'll be able to talk about that. That'll be a little bit weird. Uh, I don't want to get too much into time travel or anything. And then there's there's possibly a rumor, and I, I'm going to drop this out there, and just so you have to either confirm or deny it, that we might even podcast from the Blazers Edge staff dinner. There might be a possibility of that if we can make it work, work technically. And boy, that I mean, that staff dinner, we got uh, not quite everybody can be there because uh, some are in Australia and some are in, Wait, what are we, you know, across, we're, we're in what, in 17 time zones? Something ridiculous yeah, like that. There's a lot of there's a lot of time. <laughs> I'm not sure there are 17, but there's there's a lot. So we're spread across the globe. But uh, those who are in the local area are basically coming. So that's going to be uh, we're gonna have a little staff get together. And yeah, we might bring you some different voices, allow you to meet the people. Uh, and uh, yeah, it should be fun. So I'm looking forward to it. You and I will actually be in the same room. It, it does happen once a year. It, it's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> Well, I, yep, I guess absolutely. I guess theoretically, or or more true to the point, it's it's more twice a year with Blazers Edge Night and then a staff dinner. That's right. So two whole anyways, days. Yes, two whole days. Which anybody will tell drag. you with with me is more than enough. What have I done? I I, I do not merit this. The 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 bounteous glory that comes from being in the in Dan's presence. <laughs> Well, I guess with that, folks, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Again, uh, we got Blazers Edge Night coming up, so I want to thank everybody who donated or spread the word. 2,000 kids getting to go is a, a huge, huge deal. Um, Stupid Joel Embiid. Why did he get injured now? I couldn't know. you wait a week? And, why, and we couldn't trade for Nerlens. That was that was kind of my, my sneaky that deal that I was hoping for happening was it would be Nerland's Noel Revenge Night. We don't get to see that happen. Nurkic. So. Nurkic Revenge on the entire world for not fielding a good center anymore. All right. <laughs> well, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it there. This has been the Blazers Edge Podcast. And for Dave Deckard, remember you folks, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher. Like, subscribe, leave us reviews, all that good stuff. And until next week, go Blazers!